Our passage today comes from Isaiah 52 and 53. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told they will see, and what they have not heard they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Mic working? Is it good? Now we're good? All right. I did. I'm going to preach like I got an extra hour of sleep last night. Daylight savings. I live for daylight savings. I don't know when you get to that point in your life where like count down the days for daylight savings, you know? Nobody else? Nobody cares in here. Thank you. Golly. It's going to be a long morning for you if we can't respond to daylight savings. I'm just kidding. Um, thank you, front row people. There's only two of you. Um, hey, well, uh, this, this passage is incredible. 
Um, if you woke up this morning and you're like, I wonder if we're just going to talk about like the main thing of Christianity. I got a great answer. We are. We are going to do that this morning. Okay. It is incredible. It is one of the most beautiful passages in all of the scriptures. In fact, I preached my first sermon ever on Isaiah 53. I wasn't asked to preach a sermon. I was asked to share my, my testimony or my story with like a little four minute devotional. I was like, I can't do that. I can't share my, I need to share the story. Anybody, you guys remember that point in your life where you're like, I only know one thing and one thing only. Isaiah 53, he bore my sins, you know? It was intense, okay? I don't know if you, no, nobody else really re resonates with that. I was so hyped to tell people about Isaiah 53. Just like a quick note too. If someone ever asks you to share your story and two of the first words you use are transgression and iniquity, you need to calm down, okay? Just, <laughs> just relax, okay? That's how I came in. I came in hot. Calm down, but, I, but, but, but honestly, I miss those days, you know? A lot of us, we, we, we feel like we graduate past that point. Like, I got this message. I've got the understanding of the cross, and now I'm trying to level up in my spirituality or my Christianity or my faith. And even when I look back at those days, I, I envy them a little bit. I envy just the, the simple wonder and amazement at the cross, the simple gospel of Jesus for me, substitute in my place. I just, I just envy those days at times. And, and, and honestly, revival and renewal, what we've been talking about a little bit, it's almost always a reawakening to that first love. It's a, it's a rediscovery of the cross, the simplicity and the assurance of our salvation by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm gonna pray for here in a moment. I'm, I mean, when I preach this, if I'm honest, I feel a weight when I preach this because there's so much to be said. I, I could go, we could do an entire 12-week message on the cross. Some people have said it's like the ocean, <laughs> enough to where some little babies can walk around and splash and have a great time, and some of the best submarines and explorers of our earth, they can keep going and keep going and keep going, and they'll never find the bottom of it. That's what the cross is to us. And so wherever you are today, if you feel like you're a baby in here, we're just splashing in it, and it feels fresh, and it feels new. We want us to enjoy the richness, the newness of the gospel. And in the same way, I want to say, if, if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, don't think we've graduated past this. This is, this is the thing. The way into the kingdom is the way on in the kingdom, and we move on with the same power of the cross. It's the revelation of who God is to us. Our world, so many other things are trying to blind us to seeing who God actually is, but Fleming Rutledge says that it's in the crucifixion that we see the nature of God truly revealed. And I can tell you that today, but, but, but we need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to that. Even Paul, there's this, there's this passage in 1 Corinthians where he says, I, I, knew, I, I vowed to know nothing among you except crucified. So I stood up among you and he said, I, I was with trembling and fear and weakness I didn't come with eloquent speech, but I came with this one message, that the power might not rest in my own words or my own eloquence, but in the power of God and a demonstration of the Spirit. And so if I'm honest this morning, that's what we really need. I can give you some great illustrations and try to say this is what the cross is like, and it can click in a new way for you, but it's nothing if the Spirit doesn't. So let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence to be with us this morning. Would you just quiet us, calm our hearts? So many things bouncing around in our, in our minds. 
And yet I just feel like you want to focus our eyes to see the simple message of Jesus this morning. And so would you do that? I got no new content, no new information. I got nothing new to say at all, but we need, we need your spirit to come. Amen. Amen. Isaiah 53. It starts with the prophet Isaiah, and we get this prophecy 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Isn't that incredible? I was talking to somebody today that said, or uh, this week that said, Isaiah 53 is why I'm still a Christian. You know, the fact that this thing could be said 700 years before the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. But he does, he prophesies about this mysterious figure who he calls the servant of God, who is to come in the future and to bring the salvation of God. The New Testament clearly identifies the servant of God as Jesus himself. And now this passage is, is one of the most um, famous ones that theologians have called the, one of the servant songs. And it may be the best passage, not even just in the Old Testament, but in the entire scripture to give us a window into what the cross is all about. Even the New Testament writers themselves, they would refer back to Isaiah 53 when they were trying to understand what Jesus did on the cross. It's what helped them understand and develop their own holistic theology of the cross. Even in Acts chapter 8, we see a story of this Ethiopian eunuch, and he's, he's riding along in a chariot. And one of the early disciples, he senses the Holy Spirit tell him to go ask him what he's, what he's reading. Isn't that awesome? The Spirit does that, you know? He, he leads Philip. Philip walks over to this Ethiopian eunuch. He's like, what are you reading, bro? And he's like, man, I was praying that someone would show me what this passage means. And you know the passage he's reading is Isaiah 53. And he does this. He asks Philip, he says, hey, tell me, who is this prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? And he has this question raised. And then it says this, that Philip began with that very passage and told him about the good news of Jesus. I just want you to know that's why we're here this morning, <laughs> for the good news of Jesus. That's why we sing, you know, that's why we worship this morning. It's because we are recipients of good news, the good news of Jesus. It's why we pray, it's why we gather, it's why we fellowship, it's why we have hope in the midst of our suffering, that there is good news about Jesus. But sometimes, and for most of us, oftentimes, we fail to grasp and experience the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of that good news. And a lot of times it's because, hello, we don't embrace the bad news. Come on. All right. The mic keeps cutting out whenever I go here. So you guys are going to get nothing from me this morning. I'm sorry. All right. I'm going to talk to you. If you miss something, ask somebody on this side of the room. We're going to make some friends today. All right. We got to start with, in order for us to understand the fullness of what Jesus has done, we have to understand our own weakness, depravity, what some would just call the human condition. And this passage, it takes us right there. We, we cannot avoid it. It makes us look at the world to see the pain of the world. And I'm thankful that the Bible does not ignore the pain of the world. The Bible is not some kind of fake fairy tale story. It looks right at all of the pain. And it offers a, a, a new solution. But, but this, this passage, it takes us there. The pain in ourselves, the pain that comes from ourselves, the pain that we inflict and cause to others and ourselves. And Isaiah, he uses two words 
My 20-year-old Cam preaching his first Devo, he loved these two words. These are the words that Isaiah used that we don't say very much, but he, he, he said that the source of these things is our iniquity and our transgressions. Our iniquity and our transgressions. And, and unless you've said the word, maybe, I don't know, if you guys say iniquity and transgressions a lot in your normal day-to-day life, you're probably weird. I'm just going to be honest, okay? So, so let's talk about these words just a little bit. Iniquity first. Iniquity, really, really what it means is just to be bent or to be crooked. It's to, it's to bend what is actually right. Okay, so I don't know, I don't know if you guys know this about me. I, 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 I went to the Air Force Academy right out of high school. Some of you, that's going to shock you. You're like, wow. And to be honest, what they do at these things called basic training is they weed people out. Okay, and I am an effect of them weeding people out. Okay, we can just be honest, all right? All right. I didn't have what it takes, you know? So I'm here, and I'm a pastor now. <laughs> All right, <laughs> but I, I, uh, I, it was one of the last days of basic training. I'll never forget it. It was a marking moment. It was one of the, they, they were being kind of soft this day, my favorite day, okay? And they, they took us to the, the, the gun range, and, and they was just kind of, they were letting us, they were teaching us how to use some of these, these weapons, which I had never done in my life and have not done since. And um, they, they were, I, I think I wasn't paying attention during the instructions, if I'm honest. They used to call me special cadet. I don't know what that meant. Um, seems hurtful. But um, I, I we, we, we started off the shooting, we, we had like all these different targets, we had, to, we had to stand for 10 shots, and then bend down for 20, and then lay down for 10 shots, and some people were just geeking out, like they were hyped about it, I was like, I don't know what's going on. Anyways, I took my shots, we took our 40 shots, and I'm walking down to my target, because we got to walk down and see how we did. 40 shots, I remember, if you got 32, you're an expert shooter, so I'm like, you know, I'm, a, and I'm a hooper, you know, I want to be an expert shooter, no matter what it is, okay? So I'm walking down to my target, and I get closer and closer, and I'm like, dog, I don't think I hit this target one time. Like, it is, it is blank slate. Like, they're going to have to rip up everybody else's target and put new ones on, but they're just going to leave mine right there. I got nothing, okay? Did not hit the target one time. But the dude next to me, I hear, I hear him start counting. 63, 64, 65. Carol knows what's happening. 60. You know, and I'm like, how did this dude get 66 out of 40, you know? And I realized... I was shooting at my bro's target. You know, I had the wrong target, all right? Which is great, though. Let me tell you about the grace of the military, similar to the grace of God, you know? They just gave me expert shooter. They split it in two. They're like 33 for both of you. Cam, you're an expert shooter, too. And I put that thing on my uniform for the next four days, okay? It was awesome. But, I mean, that's really what iniquity is. It's to have the right energy, the right efforts, the right stuff, but it's crooked. It's bent in the wrong direction. I mean, I'm bent over there. I'm trying my best to hit the target. But, but for some reason, I'm just tilted just the wrong way. That's all it means to be iniquity. It's, it's sometimes they're not even bad desires. It's good desires. Good desires that God himself has put in us. Desires for relationship, fulfillment, wholeness, freedom. But it is aimed and directed at the wrong target and with the wrong resources. I mean, some would say that's what sin really is. It's us trying to meet our deep needs, our God-given desires, with our own resources. And there's a proverb that says that, by the way. It says, there's a way that seems right to man. And you know where it leads? To death. There was a target that seemed right to me, and I walked up to that thing, oh, for 40. That's how much of us live our lives. That, that's, that's the natural way that we live our lives. It's iniquity. It's our crooked impulses that lead to crooked lives and ultimately crooked consequences. Isaiah even doubles down. He uses another illustration in verse 6. He says, we all like sheep 
have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. I mean, don't you love how the scripture calls us sheep all the time? I mean, sometimes it seems cute, you know, like I'm just God's little lamb, just so great. But, but the reality is it's really a put down. It's like a sheep are extremely, how can I say this, dumb. They're really not smart, okay? Sheep in the Bible are not like glorified. They're seen as like the ones who uh, are always like just running off cliffs, okay? They're like always, they're putting themselves in harm's way like constantly, and he's saying, we are like sheep. We just see something like, I think that seems good for me. You know, let me wander over there. And it's never good. We all like sheep. We've gone astray. We've gone our own ways. And for some of us, that's challenging. You know, we're like, why can't God just let me live? I know he loves me. Why can't he just like let me do my thing and enjoy life? C.S. Lewis, he, he says it this way. He says, we wish at times that God left us alone to follow our natural impulses that he would give over trying to train us into something unlike our natural selves. Then he says this, but this would be us asking not for more love, but for less love. To ask that God's love should be content with us as we are is to ask that God would cease to be God. I'm mean, I speak for myself, but aren't you thankful that God intervened in your life? <laughs> that he didn't leave you to your own devices? And look, we say this every week, God loves you right as you are. However you come in here this morning, it's, it's, he is in love with you. But he also, he loves you way too much to just leave you there. He loves you way too much. In fact, when, when, we, when we talk about um, God taking off his hands from us in the scriptures, it's not his grace, but it's his wrath. That is the wrath of God seen in the scriptures. It, it's the prodigal son. It's the father who, when the son says, hey, can I, can I get a little cut of my inheritance a little bit early? And he cuts him the check. Do your thing. And where does the sun end up? In the pigsty, in the mud. His life is a mess. That's what happens when God takes his hands off. It's what Romans 1 says. It's, it's, it's the wrath of the creator. God stops intervening and he just leaves us to our own devices, our crooked lives that lead to crooked consequences. My boy Mav ate his first ice cream cone the other day. And I don't know why, but my boy was eating it. I was like, bro, just lick the top. You know, it seems pretty simple. And he was just going right for the bottom. And I'm like, bro, that's not how you eat an ice cream cone. So I'm telling him, that's not how you do it. I, see him, I, I saw him see me look away, and he goes right back to the bottom, you know? I'm like, Mav, you're about to experience my wrath, bro. I'm not going to tell you. You're going to get that ice cream all over yourself. It's the wrath of God. That's a trivial example and a silly one, but it is the reality. It's what happens when he takes his hands off. And the second you say, God, I, I can't you're asking for his wrath. You're saying, take your hands off. It's what happens. Iniquities are our crooked lives that have crooked consequences. But Isaiah, he also uses another word. He uses this word transgression that has a different feel to it. Transgression is more of an offense or a crime. It's, it's symbolic to betrayal more than just being bent in the wrong direction. Transgression is not just a moral wrong, but it's a relational one. It's not just a transactional wrongdoing, but it's fundamentally personal. It's why almost always in the Old Testament, the two sins that God lays before Israel are adultery and idolatry. Adultery, one of the most awkward illustrations that he uses in the entire Bible for you redeeming love fans out here who love it, but the story is awkward. He tells this prophet Hosea to go marry a prostitute and he says, she's going to love you for a little bit, and then she's going to leave you and go to other lovers. 
And then he says this, this is a living illustration of the people of Israel to me. They love me and then they go to other lovers. It's not just, it's not just moral wrongdoing, but it's relational betrayal or idolatry, which is just to take the breath that God has given us and to sing praise to other things with our energy, with our time, with our resources. I mean, even when you look at the Ten Commandments, the first five are, they're all relational. The first five are our relationship with God. The next five are our relationship with one another. All of them in the confines of loving relationship. And the scriptures make it really clear. We've all gone astray and we've all fallen short. We've sinned against God. We've ran from him. We've been unfaithful to him. We've put things in his place that belong to him and him alone. And what it does is it creates a gap between us and our maker. It separates us. It breaks our relationship with him. First John says that in him is light and there's no darkness at all. But you've got to live about five minutes in this world to start carrying some darkness with you. To feel some darkness, to create some of your own darkness. And every religion in the world believes this, by the way. This is where we can, we can find common ground here. Something good, we are bad, there we go. Most religions can, are going to agree somewhere there. But Christianity is the only one that doesn't leave us there. It's, it's, it's the only one that doesn't say, now, now with this gap, you need to form your way, you need to get better, you need to find that inner light, you need to you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but it sends someone down to save us. We are the only one. It's the center of our faith. What we believe is not a moralistic, do-better religion but we, where we're trying to make ourselves better, but our faith is about someone coming down to us in the person of Jesus. And how he comes is often a little unsettling, though. I mean, even the name of the song, you know, the servant songs, it's backwards to me. It's backwards to us. The Savior of the world as a servant, as a humble servant. It says he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of the ground. And I mean, no matter how you want to look at that, it doesn't make much sense. <laughs> I mean, when we talk about I mean, all the power in the world, when we talk about how we use power, we use it not to, it's, it's to get people to serve you, you know? That's how you're supposed to use power. When, when you talk about strategy, like how, how, is, how is the Savior going to grow influence? Build a platform? Make yourself big? He says, no, I'm going I'm to come in as a humble servant. His strategy is not high and mighty, but gentle and lowly. Even when you think about worth, I mean, the only one worthy of our worship and he comes and he says, I came not to, not to be served, but to serve. A servant. He comes as a servant. And not only that, he comes as a suffering servant. Verse 4, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Jesus, it says, is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Jesus, he knew pain and suffering firsthand. Theologian, psychiatrist, Frank Lake, he says it this way. He says, it is astonishing the fact that even the events of the crucifixion of Jesus portray every variety of human suffering and evil. He points out that on the cross, Jesus suffered injustice. He felt the shame of nakedness, was deprived of all of his rights. He endured taunting. 
He became the focus of rage of others. He was rejected. He was forsaken. And in addition to that, he, he experienced excruciating physical pain, thirst, hunger, emptiness, torment, confusion, and finally death itself. Every dark painful experience of the human condition. Jesus experienced all of it. It doesn't make our own personal sufferings disappear, nor, nor does it solve any of the age-old enigmas of suffering, but it does enable us to keep trusting the God who suffers. I mean, John Stott, he says it this way. He says, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? He says, at the cross, he laid aside his immunity to pain, and he entered our world of flesh and blood and tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings become more manageable in light of his. And time and time again, man, don't, don't we experience the freedom and redemption of just being seen? I mean, when someone really sees you, especially in pain, to be suffering and to have someone who has been there, look you in the eyes and say, I know that pain. I mean, it's, it's why Christian cliches like never work. <laughs> you know, it's why even as I'm saying this, some of you are like, that's cool, Cam, that's great. But when you sit across the table from someone with a cup of coffee in your hand and you look them in the eyes and you say, I've been there. I know that pain. Something happens in us. Something heals us. Something holds us. That's what happens when we look at Jesus if we can just sit there and reflect and think and meditate long enough, we might not get any answers that we want. But we get seen, you know? And we see. We see the God who, who knows every bit of our pain, suffering, humiliation, unanswered prayer, all of it. Jesus, he, he comes, the King, as a suffering servant. And that would be awesome if that's all he did. That in and about itself would be great. But he is more than just a God who has come to empathize with us in our weaknesses, but he actually comes with power. <laughs> and he comes with this reversal of things, what, what people have called the great exchange. Jesus, he identifies with the human condition and he takes all the consequences of it on himself. Verses four through six. Some of the most beautiful words in all of scripture. Isaiah 53, verses four through six. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let me say it this way. The evil that was due to me came upon Jesus so that the good due to Jesus might be made available to me. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. You know what happened on the cross? Jesus was punished so that you and I, we might be forgiven. The wages of sin, it was death. But he died. He took our place. He, he substituted for us. Stott also says that any form of forgiveness ever always involves some form of suffering. You don't just, I mean, I mean, most of the time we talk about grace and we just take our hands off, but real grace, real forgiveness involves somebody swallowing the guilt. Somebody swallowing the justice that is due. What happened on the cross? Jesus was wounded 
so that you and I might be healed. Jesus was made sin for us, that now we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus tasted death so that you and I, we might share in his life. Jesus was made a curse so that you and I might be blessed. Do you know that this morning? You're not like living for a blessing. You know Jesus' last words to disciples? He raised his hands and he, and he blessed them. You and I, we live this morning from blessing. Do you know that? You're not trying to earn anything or strive for anything. You live from the blessing of God because Jesus became a curse. There's no more curse for you. Jesus bore our shame that we might share in his glory. I mean, shame. How many of us are riddled with shame? Our body postures scream shame. We're hunched over, we're sad, we're ashamed. But you know what you can say to your shame? <laughs> Look at the cross. There's no more shame for me. There's no more condemnation for me. I know I've failed. I know I've, I've blown it all kinds of different ways. But there's no more condemnation for me because Jesus took it all. Look at the cross, shame. You can talk to your shame. Jesus endured my rejection that I might have his acceptance. Some of you, you've been rejected. You've been turned away. You've lived unloved lives. And I'm telling you this morning, he will never reject you. He cannot he has covenanted himself to fully and always accept you. You are accepted. That is meant for you. He was cut off that we might be joined to the family of God. Our old man was put to death that the new man might come to life in us. That's the gospel. It's the great exchange. He took our place. It's the best news on the planet. And there's some responses here as I'm even saying this. I can, I can feel it in the room a little bit. Because <laughs> that news is better than our response. So there's a couple ways that that lands in our hearts. One is there's a newness to it. Some of you, and we were praying for this all morning, because the, 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 enemy, the enemy puts a veil before our eyes to block us from seeing the beauty of who Jesus is. There's distorted views of God. And sometimes when you see the cross, the veil is lifted, and you see that's who God actually is. And it feels brand new and radical and new. And I pray that's some of some of us, though, there's just this boredom. <laughs> like, I know that, Cam. I've heard that. Obviously, I've heard that. And boredom. Some of the effects of boredom are, are you're sitting in here and you're thinking, man, I need to send this podcast to this person today because they need to hear this. You ever have that? It's an effect of spiritual boredom. That's an effect of your own spiritual boredom. I, I bless your missional spirit wanting to bless people. But oftentimes, it's just an effect of our own critical kind of boredom with spiritual life. Another one is just us being actually critical to other people. <laughs> And Jesus, he gives us this warning. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. For a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Some of you are like, I don't know what that means, bro. What's a leaven? What's a lump? I don't know, bro. Talking about bread up in here? Always. Always talking about bread. The bread of life. Come on. I'm trying to get us rolling here because we, daylight savings didn't do the trick. We need the spirit. He says this, though. This is what he's saying. He's saying a little leaven, just a little bit of a Pharisaical attitude. You know what the Pharisees, you know the, you know the worldview of the Pharisees? It was legalistic. It was moralistic. It was, all, it was performative. It was always being aware of themselves and how they're doing and how they're not doing and comparing themselves to other people. That's the worldview of the Pharisees. And he's talking to his disciples saying, beware of that leaven. Just a little bit of that spirit of religion. It'll get in here. It'll permeate the whole place. And before you know it, you're not even, you can't even see the gospel because you're just looking down at yourself. You're so aware of your own performance. 
You've heard things like Jesus has set me free, but you just keep grabbing the chains and putting them back on day after day after day because you're living, because this thing has leavened. It's gotten in us. He's saying, beware of that. Our natural drift, by the way, will not be towards grace. Our natural drift will not be towards believing that the cross is true. It will be towards spiritual apathy and spiritual boredom. And you'll just say, the cross, that's great. And here I am again trying to work it out myself. But the Holy Spirit wants to come even, even now and just lift our eyes to see the cross. The foot, the, 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 at, the, at the foot of the cross, the ground is totally level. The critical spirit in you, it dies at the foot of the cross. Because you see who you actually are and you see who he is and you don't get lost in a criticalness, but you get lost in worship. That's what happens. That kind of thought about like, man, this person, it dies at the foot of the cross. It dies when you see Jesus. The constant discouragement that we are always feeling, it, it dies at the foot of the cross. And new encouragement, new life is breathed into you there. Because you see Jesus for who he is, he's displayed there. And that's the other response. That's, that's what I hope and pray is happening in us right now, that, that, that worship comes out of us. I mean, there's a difference between when this is like the story and it's actually your story. When it's not just like some theoretical, theological understanding of, of the cross and the gospel, but when it becomes your story, when you see yourself I mean, I think about Barabbas a lot. That's a weird character to think about, but I think about him from time to time. Is that okay? He's a mysterious character who kind of comes onto the scene kind of out of nowhere, you know? You're like, Jesus is going to the cross, and there's this kind of weird guy that comes out of nowhere, Barabbas. I just can't identify more with Barabbas sometimes, you know? I mean, he's a, he's a criminal. He's a crook. He's a bad guy. And the people there, there there's, this, there's this holy day where they say, you can release one of the criminals here, Jesus or Barabbas. And he puts them on display and the people say, Barabbas, we want Barabbas. Send Jesus to the cross. And I mean, I think about Barabbas, man. I mean, but then you think about the heart of Jesus. And I was thinking about this, like, Jesus knew it's a perfect illustration for us. He wanted Barabbas to go free. But I don't know how many times I, I, I do it. I, I'm like, that's great. But give me that chain back, Jesus. I need... I did this to myself. I put myself here. I did it. The shame, the voice of shame comes. The condemnation, my mission will spit my energy around things. I'm like, ah. But when I look at Jesus, I look at Barabbas and I see myself and we see ourselves. I wanted you to go free. I mean, that's why Paul, all through, the Old all through the New Testament, it's like always what he talks about. He says, there's one thing I'm a boast in. I mean, he had a lot to boast in. He gives us his resume before he says he's going to boast in this. But he says, there's one thing I'm going to boast in. It's the cross. Is that your spiritual life right now? You're like, man, I'm just, how are you doing, bro? I don't even know how I'm doing. To be honest, I'm just, a, I'm just the cross, you know? It's weird. <laughs> I mean, oftentimes, even when I'm talking to people, we're, we're so much more aware of our own spiritual well-doing and performance than we are of just the simple truth of the cross. And so I'm going to pray, and even as we worship here and we sing some of these songs, I'm asking that the Holy would just revitalize us. Revival, renewal, it starts here. It starts with a resurgence, a reawakening, a reawareness of the simplicity of the cross. He who knew no sin, the perfect one, the holy one, the only one 
and he took our place. And all I do is receive that. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.